back to the book of Joshua. We got uh, this uh, message and I think one more with uh, talking about Joshua's farewell address. Looking forward to that. I think of some great farewell addresses that uh, have moved many people. But, uh, well, actually, he's giving a farewell address to these 40,000 men who have now, they're demobilized. Uh, They have done what they told Joshua and pledged to do. Uh, The tribes of Reuben, uh, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, who lived on the east side of the Jordan, uh, we see back in Numbers 32 that they had made an agreement that uh, they would, uh, that their men would go over anyway and fight uh, in the land of Canaan. Now, interesting through this, we never see, uh, we never see Moses praying, and it's just one of those things. Moses got angry with them because of why they wanted to be on that side, but then, then he acquiesced and allowed those people to be on this their, that side of the Jordan. And this is always now going to be a big problem for Israel because all these people were going to be was going to be a buffer zone. And whoever invaded from the east, and of course that's where all the landmass was, uh, they were going to come through Reuben, Simeon, and Gad the first. You, you know, I think of Gideon. And Gideon, of course, uh, was on the other side, on the, that half-tribe on the west side, but uh, he crossed the Jordan and fought most of the uh, Midianites on the east side of the Jordan. And he just went right down um, on the east side of the Jordan all the way into Midian. And uh, many of the people by that time, several generations later, uh, didn't even want to help him fight. They were so just so used to living with the Canaanites and everything else. So he came back and he scourged a couple of the cities. But uh, so we see that this, these were buffer places. And, um, but it was very easy for them to just kind of, um, uh, become, uh, morphous, uh, what's a morphosis, uh, what's metamorphosis anyway, they, they, uh, just, they morphed with the, the other uh, tribes of, of, um, on the East. And so a lot of them, you couldn't tell the difference. Uh, there were, of course, all during that time, um, a lot, a lot of battles that were fought over there. I think um, when we'll talk about that in the book of Judges. But to now as, um, Moses, or as uh, Joshua is giving this farewell address, we see that he's uh, talking with him. And I, for, before we get into it, I just think, uh, why did God, this whole passage just at first looks like, uh, why did God put it in here? Because it seems like uh, there was a misunderstanding and then, they reconciled and nothing else happened. Uh, there's so many times in the Bible that I look at things and I say, okay, Lord, why did you put it there? And of course, we know that everything here is inspired by God, right? So it's important. Many times God will tell us things, but he won't tell us directly. For instance, um, God never condemned Moses, well, Moses too, but uh, uh, Abraham uh, or Jacob you don't see them condemning their polygamy. But at the, or David's, you don't see God coming down on his polygamy, except for his adultery, of course, when he murdered Uriah the Hittite. You never see, or you don't see God rebuking Solomon for his thousand wives. 
But did you see the problems that were caused by those, prob- those marriages? I mean, all through there, you just see all kinds of problems that were created by polygamy. And, but, you know, and so it wasn't that God had to do it. If you just read it, then you'll see that, uh, that that's what happened. And here we have the same situation where it looks like, oh, these people got along just fine. But um, there are a couple of hidden things we're going to look at in here and just see how that uh, they still were invited to go on the west side of the Jordan. Even during this time, there's a passage that we'll look at where, they, hey, listen, you can still come over on our side. But they, stood, they, they did what, uh, um, what I, th- I was reading about a very famous baseball coach. He coached just small uh, schools, but he brought them to national prominence, uh, Cali, or Cal, California Polytechnic, uh, I guess they call it Cal Poly now, and Pepperdine, which was a quasi-Christian school and out in Southern California. He made some tremendous strides in baseball back in, uh, back in the last half of the century. But he was a great teacher. And uh, in teaching, uh, one, uh, he was up at retirement age now, up in his 80s, and they asked him to come and speak. And uh, so when he did, he, uh, he appeared with, uh, you know, just his just, um, kind of a, uh, casual clothes on. But, uh, as he, but he wore a baseball home plate around his neck. And, of course, people were kind of snickering at him. And here are all these baseball coaches from all over the world or all over the country had come to honor him and everything. And it was a convention, and they knew he was a good teacher, and they loved to hear him speak. And so he got up and he started talking as if he didn't even notice that he had that uh, baseball home plate as a necklace around his neck. And everybody kept looking at him, you know, and he kept, uh, you know, just talking and, you know, giving a pretty good speech. And people liked it, but it was one of those things where it was so distracting to have that baseball uh, home plate hung around his neck. And then toward the end, he just, oh, oh, uh. Fellas, you, uh, you're wondering why I have this uh, baseball home plate around my neck. And he said, um, how many Little League players do we, or Little League coaches do I have here? And all, you know, several people, several scores of men raise their hands, or people, uh, coaches raise their hands. And uh, he said, how wide is home plate? And then he said, they said, 17 inches. And then he said, he said, how many uh, junior varsity uh, coaches do we have here? And they raised their hand. And he said, how wide is home plate? And he, they said, 17 inches. And he went through that with senior high. And then he went into it with junior college and college. And even there were uh, several professional uh, uh, baseball coaches who had been there or retired or whatever. But they were there and they raised their hand. And each one of them, how wide uh, is home plate? And each one of them, all the way from Little League all the way up through professional, said 17 inches. Then he said, okay, coaches, when you have a baseball player, you have a boy that wants to pitch, and he comes from a very prominent family, but he can't, uh, he can't pitch across home plate, what do you do? And they, you know, uh, he doesn't pitch. You know, he's, if he can't hit home plate, then he does a pitch. That's so why like a Roger, uh, uh, well, 
Uh, like one baseball player said, you pay me millions of dollars, but how many of you can throw a baseball 100 miles an hour across the 17-inch plate from 90 feet away or from 60 feet away or whatever, you know? So it was one of those things, how many? And he said, well, if they can't, you know, pitch it across home plate, then they don't make, the, they don't become pitchers. We'll put them out in the field or whatever. And he said, well, you, you, don't, you wouldn't consider widening home plate? And they said, well, if you do that, you're going to mess up the game. And he said, well, what about that pitcher who goes out and breaks the rules and so forth, and everybody on the team knows it, but do you widen home plate for him? And he really started making a point about how that you don't change the rules when they're set. And no matter who breaks them, if they can't, if they can't, do the job and they can't stay within the boundaries, then they don't play or they don't play that position. And this is what I see here is, um, is that these people widened home plate. They said, we want to be on the web. Look at all this. We got all this land over here. We got all the, uh, I mean, it's a great place to raise cattle. Uh, there's no natural boundaries and that was a big problem. But, uh, you know, this is where we want to stay. And of course, Reuben, who was unstable as water, if you look back on his lineage, he was a fellow already had sacrificed his uh, uh, birthright because of his shenanigans. And then you had uh, Gad and uh, half track And um, they wanted to stay on that side where God had not wanted him to do so. He wanted them to come over on into the land of Canaan. And so they became a buffer. They became those, those people that uh, are not totally committed to doing exactly what God wants, but they want all the blessings of God. And a lot of people are like that in church. You know, uh, go to church, they won't, uh, don't get me too tied up with uh, all the things that God wants me to do in commitment, but uh, boy, I like kind of the singing, I like the fellowship, I like whatever. And unfortunately, a lot of times I like the business opportunities or whatever else that people see about going to church. And so we see here that uh, now Joshua is talking to these men that wanted, that widened the home plate. And so we see, in, but he was good to them because they had done what they told him they would do. And so 40,000 men, notice in verse 1 of chapter 22, then Joshua called Reuben, the Reubenites and the Gadites and the tribe of, half tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, you have kept all the laws. Notice how he's commending them. You've kept all the, um, that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and you have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You, shall, uh, you have not left your brethren these many days, seven years. So they, they had been in the army for seven years. I wonder how many times they took leave to go home, but uh, uh, for seven years now they have been on the campaign. Um, and that you have kept charge of the commandment. And now the Lord has given rest to your brethren. So now, finally, you got to that uh, place where we have conquered the land, um, except for pockets that each individual tribe must take care of. And he has promised them, Now therefore, return and go to, the, to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of Jordan. Now, notice it wasn't that God gave it to you. Remember, how many times did we see God gave you this land? But notice Joshua doesn't say God gave you that land. He says Moses gave it to you. 
And no matter how great a man Moses was, he wasn't God. And so we see that, but be careful, take heed uh, to, your com- to the commandment and the law of Moses and the servant of the Lord commanded you. I like these five things he tells them to do now. To love the Lord your God. I li- I've underlined them here. Love the Lord your God. Uh, walk in all his ways. Keep his commandments and hold fast or cleave to him and serve him. So you got five things there that God wants us to do, and that's to love him, walk with him, keep his commandments, cleave to him, and serve him. So those are that's good uh, um, instruction that he's giving these younger men as they go back home to their families. And so Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents, which is the idea of their personal possessions, and now they're going home. Now the half-tribe of Manasseh, um, and, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, he had given up the possession of Bashan, which was the, to the, the southern part of that, um, uh, half, that eastern side, and half-tribe of Joshua to possession of the, the side of the westward, and he, he talks about that. He says in verse, he said, return with much riches to your tents uh, with uh, very much livestock. So notice they have a lot of spoils that they've gathered over the years. And so now they are herding uh, hurting all this back home. And you can imagine that would have been a huge mass of people with all the lo- livestock and the booty that they were able to take back with them. And uh, so you have 40,000 men that are going back across, the, uh, you know, going across back over the Jordan. And he says, when you get home, divide it with the guys who stayed as rear guards. And you wonder if there was a rotation there. Some of those guys came back and fought while some of them went home. We don't know. But uh, divide the spoil um, with your brethren. And so this is all good so far. So the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, Manasseh returned in verse 9 and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh. Remember, that's that central area right in the middle of, uh, of Israel. And he says, which is the land, the land of Canaan, to, the, to go to the country of... Now, notice the west, that east side now is going to be called Gilead. When you hear Gilead, that's where you get those two and a half tribes on the east side. So you had cities that were named Gilead, like Jabesh Gilead and Ramoth Gilead. And uh, uh, we'll talk about those later on in the book of Joshua, or book of Judges. And so we see uh, to the land and to their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord uh, by the hand of Moses, and when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is uh, in the land of Canaan, so they're still on the west side, the children of Reuben and Gad um, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great impressive altar. So these, bu- these bunch of guys, they're heading back home. They don't have priests with them or whatever, but uh, they were very still energetic, and they wanted to build an altar. This would be the eighth altar. This would be the eighth uh, um, memorial that would be built on the, uh, the west side of the Jordan. If you remember, after Ai and other, after Jer- Jericho, and right on through, we see the altars and the, uh, uh, the uh, big stones that were, were mounted. And so these men, without any advice, or, and one of the big problems is they didn't tell Joshua and the rest of the people. So they didn't tell them this. This is just kind of a spur of the thing, spur of the moment thing. 
that a bunch of guys got together on their way home, and they said, let's build an altar. And they didn't think about the political uh, ramifications of it or anything else, and they didn't have communication with uh, the rest of the tribes. And so they built this big, huge altar so that their children or people that were going up and down the east side of the Jordan could see it on the west side of the Jordan. And so they said, hey, listen, we helped conquer that land. So their intentions were right. I think about the group of, of northern soldiers that came back in 1865 and formed this church on the south side of uh, the river. And uh, they called it South Baptist Church. And I always thought that was so, uh, uh, so interesting. You have a bunch of northern soldiers coming back after fighting for four years in the south and calling the church South Baptist Church but <laughs> you know, for a bunch of soldiers. But uh, that's just, you know, when you get people, there's a camaraderie there. So they, they weren't doing anything wrong other than they just really weren't that taught. And you could tell uh, uh, that uh, they didn't really have a lot of connections with the priests and so forth or any of the, the people other than they were kind of, almost, uh, by this time they were almost like uh, we're a separate group. We already know that we're different than the rest of you. And we'll see that those divisions in the land uh, during the history of Israel really causes a lot of problems. And so in verse 13, then the children of, of uh, uh, Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, uh, to, uh, to the uh, children of Reuben, to the children of Grad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, in the land of Gilead, um, with him ten rulers. So Phinehas gets, his, uh, gets the tribes on the other nine and a half, so there's ten rulers on the, other, on the west side. And uh, they're going to have, hey, we've got to have a conference, fellas. There's something going on here. And so uh, one ruler from each of the chief tribes and um, each of the house in verse 15. Then they came to the children of Reuben. To the, it's interesting how that they keep uh, uh, telling you exactly who they are and you have to keep reading, uh, wading through the, the names there. Uh, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. So we're, we're representing the whole congregation of the Lord, verse 16. Uh, what treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel? to turn away this day from following the Lord and that you haven't even gotten home yet and you're already building false altars. Basically, that's what they're saying here. And then he, he goes on, and uh, to, for the lack of time, we're not going to read every passage, but they say, there, don't you remember? Just a few years ago, we were on the other side and there was a guy named Balaam. And we started, and some of our people started intermingling with those people, with their false gods, and killed, God killed 24,000 of us. And then if you remember Achan at uh, the Battle of Ai, we lost a lot of people there because of sin such as this. And now you, after so long, you haven't even gotten home yet and you're already going into false gods. So that was their impression of what's going on. They totally misunderstood what these men were doing as far as wanting to say, hey, we want to set up a war memorial. We want to set up a situation where, where our people, for our men, uh, our children will know what we've done. And so there's a big problem here. And so we see that, um, but then notice in verse uh, 19, and this was good advice. Notice that the invitation is still there. Nevertheless, in the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over the land to possess uh, to, um, the land of the possession of the Lord 
where the Lord's in, uh, tabernacle stands and take possession among us. So come on over and join us. You can still come over. Now, that would have been interesting to see if they would have accepted that and how that it would have changed the uh, allotment of tribes and everything. But the promised land was on the west side, and they still had them say, hey, you can still come back over. You can still come over and commit your, you know, cross the river, get in the land of victory. You don't have to be over here on the compromise side. And, and they didn't say, you know, that it was compromise side at the time. But they had, you know, they, they didn't realize that they, they were open to every type of, of invasion that would come along. And folks, whenever you, your land is, oh, when it is invaded, then that means they steal your livestock. That means they, they enslave your uh, women and children, if not more, worse things. Uh, they, they kill the, you know, uh, it's just bad stuff that happens whenever you're in between two major countries. That's what happened with Poland in World War II. I mean, uh, you know, Germany invaded, and then they went all across into Russia. Then Russia invaded, came right back across, and oh, man, the problems that were caused by being in the middle and really not having any barriers between them as far as you no know, major mountains or whatever. And so they were overrun twice in six years. You can imagine what that did. And that's the way this was going to happen. This, and this was going to be the problem of these people on the East Bank. They're going to be having a lot of these problems. Say, hey, listen, you can still come and join us. You can still come over. And uh, there's plenty of land. I don't know exactly what God would have done with it, uh, but it would have been interesting to see if they would have gone ahead and committed themselves to the land that God had promised and not uh, that... Uh, they took by design when they widened the plate. And so we see, and uh, he goes on, verse 20, and he talks about didn't Achan cause those problems. And then the children of Reuben, and we see in verse 21, they said, to, hey, whoa, 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 that we're not wanting to do that. He says, um, the, God, the Lord God of gods, in verse uh, 22, the Lord God of gods, and he says that six, six times, he says, he knows and let Israel itself know, it is, uh, if it is rebellion or if it's treachery against the Lord, uh, do not save us this day. So go ahead and, you know, just put us away. But if, uh, but if, you, uh, if we bid ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord, then, you know, we don't deserve to live. So they, they are really repenting. And so this was a misunderstanding. Fortunately, the children of Israel understood that they weren't starting a civil war. Now, later on, we're going to see that Benjamin did start a civil war, and they were not. And when they turned away from God, then uh, they were destroyed by the other tribes. We'll see that again in the book of, of, uh, of Judges. And so we see that it says, What have you to do with the Lord of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, and, the, and you, children of Reuben, and the children of Gad, you have no, uh, you know, part in the Lord. So your descendants will make our descendants see, uh, cease fearing the Lord. So you know we're we don't want that. We want you to still come to the tabernacle. That uh, and they they're saying we understand that God says the only place to worship God as far as the sacrifices and the altar was at that tabernacle. Remember how many times did we see? The place that God chooses, the place that God chooses. And it always, that choice was wherever that tabernacle was, where God chose for that tabernacle to move. And so, listen, we, 
We want to still do that, but it's going to be a lot harder. There again, going back to rivers, that's a natural barrier. Natural barriers create borders, and they create thought life. You remember later on with Gideon. Gideon, whenever he uh, was taking care of the, the uh, Ephraimites who had come late to join the battle, the, and they had crossed over into the land of Manasseh, and then he distinguished between them and the um, and their half brother, their brother, the the uh, Manassehites. Remember what they did, the Sibboleth. If they couldn't say the word, so even the language was changing. And so I like it down south. There's a, a right around Mobile. People don't say shrimp; they say shrimp. They can't say they can't say the sh- shrimp. And I think that's true with. Uh, a lot of different languages where you can't say the letter. And so uh, here, they couldn't say shibboleth, they said sibboleth. And so we see that all those things started changing, and many times it's because of a river or a mountain range or whatever else. And so this is going to be a natural dividing line as well as cultural divide between the country. And so this is going to be a big problem. You know, it's interesting... Um, in America, so it's one of the, the United States is one of the only countries and the largest country in the world uh, that has held together for two centuries or more um, from coast to coast and from the 3,000 miles apart. And you know, two, you know the two reasons why? One uh, is the language is that we all, um, we speak, uh, Noah, Noah Webster with a dictionary, standardized American speech. And so when we moved westward, we took the, the Noah, Wester, Noah Webster's uh, dictionary with us. And then the other is because of that one language. I mean, because we have one language, then, now I'm not, I'm not downing anything, but every country has to have at least a way that everybody can speak to one another. Right, and so uh, one thing I was surprised about was going to uh, Michigan and meeting a lot of uh, people from Canada, and these are all people of the same race, the same continent, and everything, as far as where they came from, France and England. But the French hate the English, and the English hate the uh, the the. Uh, and Quebec is as an odd province. They, you know, they're always wanting to split off from the rest of Canada. And it's because of one of the language. So it's interesting how that it's, uh, you know, God has blessed this country, not because we're such a great, but you know, there, there again, just those little things that happen. Now, am I against Spanish? No, I tried to. I learned it. I learned enough in. Uh, let's see, uh, back I took two years of Spanish in high school. And uh, I was really good at it, man. Like, hasta la bye-bye. Uh, no, no, I want But, you know, <laughs> no. Uh, uh, so, but, you know, I'm not against it. It's just a matter you got to have communication. you got to have a way of communicating with one another. And same way in Mexico. How many languages are in Mexico? Dominant. One language, right? Same way in France. Same way in England. And the one reason those countries in England and France are having problems is because they're inv- inv- having all these people come in and they're speaking 40 different languages, and now we have a big problem. And so this is what was happening, was going to happen here in, uh, in, even in Israel. And there were going to be cultural divides because of the, 
of the land, as well as the commerce, as well as the language, and everything else. These people now are going to have all these people invading, and they're going to be speaking half English. There's a place uh, between France and Germany called Alsace, and it swapped land. It's, uh, it's a region right around the river. I forget which river it is, but uh, you go there. From my understanding, it's one of the oddest places because they speak French German. They don't. They don't speak German and they don't speak French. They speak a mixture of both. And 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 uh, then as far as their allegiance, right now they belong to France. A few uh, half a century ago, they or, or back earlier. They belonged to England, so they, or to uh, excuse me, to Germany. So they've gone back and forth, and but nobody knows how to speak to them, and they're just a whole group of culture by themselves because they're French German, or German French, or whatever. So it's interesting how that these people when they so the Lord had a reason for them to have that natural barrier of the Jordan River, so that they would have a distinct country. And so here, hey, listen, come on over. God has give, given this land to us. And you can still come over. We'll still let you. And they didn't do it. And so they stayed back, and they're going to suffer the consequences that you will see throughout the rest of their history. And so we see in verse 21, then the children of Reuben, well, let's go on. Um, they, uh, well, verse 21, then the children of Reuben and Gad and half-tribe of Manasseh answered the heads of the division, the Lord God of gods. So, you know, we, we're going to stick with you. We really want to. Um, in verse 26, therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offerings, because we know that God said not to do that. So we're not going to offer any burnt offerings, but more as a, as a memorial. That we may, that it may be a witness between you and us. So we really had good intentions. And by the way, it doesn't sound like they were doing anything wrong other than out of ignorance. Um, and so we see in verse, he says, let um, it go on. And we see in verse 28, he says, therefore, we, we said that it will be, uh, when you say this or, uh, to us or to our generation uh, in time to come, that we may say this is a replica. This is a, this is a uh, type or picture of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, that uh, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Now, this is going to cause problems because uh, the children are not going to be so... Um, obedient of coming over the river and worshiping at the altar or bringing their offerings to the altar. And so they go into all kinds of gods uh, very quickly within just generations. Now, in verse 30, now when the Phineas, the priest, and the rulers of the congregation, um, the heads of the division, so all these, this big confab that they had, um, they, uh, they, it pleased them, we see in verse, uh, the last part of verse 30. Then Phineas, the son of Eliezer, remember the priest, he's the grandson of Aaron. Um, the priest said to the children of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the land, out of, uh, uh, delivered of the Lord. Now, 
And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the rulers, returned from the children of uh, Reuben and Gad and uh, in the land of Gilead um, to the land of Canaan to the children of Israel and brought back word to them. So they took everything back home. Hey, fellows, we're not going to mobilize and destroy the people on the west or on the east side. So the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God, and they spoke no more against them. So this pretty well solved the problem for a while uh, to destroy the land of the children. Then the children of Reuben and Gad um, built an altar, and they called it, in the King James, Ed. Now, uh, that is Hebrew for the word witness. And so this was the altar of witness that, uh, or memorial that this is, you know, a, kind of like a, a bond between us and the West Side, that we are part of them. And this would be something that uh, would be kind of a memorial to the East Siders, even though it was on the West Side of the Jordan. And uh, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, called the place witness, for it was witness between us and the Lord. Now, just to show you just some of the problems they had, and I'll just uh, mention, I'll, we'll go to one, but then I'll just mention the other because I, oh, it, we're running out of time. But if you turn over to the book of Judges, in chapter 5, you'll see, remember Deborah and Barak, some of you who have read your Bible, so I'm dealing with a couple of men in discipleship that they don't know anything about the Bible, and so it's very, you have to explain everything, some of us, most of you do. But remember Deborah and Barak, and Deborah was one of the judges who, uh, one of the few female uh, leaders of Israel. And uh, they conquered, and after that, she talked about some of the tribes that helped her defeat the enemy. And when she did, she mentioned several of them that had come out and fought. But in verse 15, the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, and so was Issachar, so was Barak, and they sent to the valley under his command. And among the divisions of Reuben, notice the divisions of Reuben, there were, now these, these tribes are really starting to divide, uh, or Reuben is not coherent or together. There was a great resolve of heart. That res- word of resolve of heart was they were pondering a lot of things, but they didn't join. They just, they thought about it. And why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings of the flocks? The divisions of Reuben had no great searching of heart. They didn't say, in other words, they weren't stirred in the heart to go help fight the battle. And this happened over and over again. And we mentioned um, Gideon. And they didn't, I mean, here Gideon was helping them, uh, uh, delivering them from the uh, Midianites. And they didn't even want to help fight. And so we see several times. One One of the interesting things as you read the Bible, though, You'll see that later on that uh, in the last chapters of the book of Judges, there's a great civil war with Benjamin. And Benjamin was wiped out down to 600 men. And uh, they, and so, but they said, we've still got to keep the tribe around and talk about misogyny. This was horrible. But uh, they said, we've got to go out and find some uh, wives for these men. And so they went and they raided a place called uh, 
uh, Ramoth Gilead, which was on, so they went over to the east side of the river to get girls for the guys on the west. I mean, that shows you just how little respect they had for for those tribes on the on the east side. But it's kind of interesting if you study that. Uh, later on, one of the first battles that Saul had was with Ramoth Gilead. He went to deliver them from a man who was or from a a tribe that was trying to kill from a, an eastern tribe that was trying to kill him. And uh, the reason he did that was because that was probably where his mother was from. She was raided from there. So it's kind of interesting how that all these things kind of mixed together. But they didn't have any more respect for for Gilead than to go over and raid girls for them to have on the, on the west side. And so you see that there was divisions that was going to be throughout this land. But they, they widened the plate, but they they... They got what they wanted, but they really didn't get what they could have had. They could have had so much more if they would have allowed God to give them the land. God gave this land to me. Well, they couldn't say that on the west side. We took this land, and we were pretty satisfied with it. And so many times in our lives, we're happy with the flocks, but we're not interested in totally following God. And that's when we are ready for a fall. That's when we're, at, we're all kinds of complications, when we don't do what God tells us to do. And we're kind of in between. And it's so easy. You're either going to love one or hate the other. And so many times that's what happens. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, help us to go all in for you, that we'll cross the river, that we'll do what you have promised and that uh, what you command, that we will take possession of, Lord, the boundaries that you've given us. We won't try to widen the plate, but we'll stay in your, within the confines of your authority and your love. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, you'll help us in the major decisions, that we won't, uh, we won't try to expand the, the barriers of truth of marriage of relationships, of honesty, but there will always be right in the center of the land that you've given us. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.